On this edition of the Bellator Christie podcast, we take a look at Paul's message to the Athenians at the Areopagus as we discuss how to secure a seat in a secular society on this edition of the Bellator Christie podcast. Listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. of all of Paul's messages. Uh, Paul was a a man who didn't uh, waste any time telling anyone about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes to what was then the intellectual center, the intellectual capital of the ancient world, Athens, Greece, and stands on what is called the Areopagus, uh, which is an outcropping of rock that was used uh, by the courts to try individuals, Areopagus, uh, we're talking about a pagan society here in Athens. Areopagus means the rock of Ares, uh, which I won't go into the Greek mythology of it all, but uh, there's, there's mythology that's tied to this. And Paul stands in the middle of this rock, and he's going to tell them, these gods you serve are not real. These gods are not true, and in fact, there is one God And this God is the one who made this very rock. This God is the one who made everybody and everything and everything within it. And Paul stands his ground. And in this center of uh, of the pagan world, this center of intellectual activity in the ancient world, Paul declares Jesus Christ and does so in a very powerful fashion. So we're going to read Paul's Areopagus message today. And we're going to ask everyone, if you will, please stand as we read the words of Paul that he spoke boldly to Athens, Greece, to the Athenians uh, several years ago. And uh, we're, t- we're, uh, we're picking up where we left off last week on talking about securing a seat in a secular society. And that means how do we witness, how do we speak to a society that is not Christian? How do we speak to a pagan world and let people know about Christ? And last week we saw the methods that Paul used This week we're going to see the message that he brings and some uh, powerful things that he includes in this message. So verse 22 is where we pick up. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus, which again is an outcropping of rock. If you look it up on your phone or tablet uh, once you get home, you can see there's this outcropping of rock in the middle of Athens, and this is where uh, he, he preached this message. And said to the people there in Athens, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. 
For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship... Now think of Paul. He's walking through and there are all of these different idols that celebrating all these different gods and goddesses. And he says, uh, as I perceive that you're very religious, for I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found this altar with the inscription to the unknown God. Now here's the thing. They, sell that, they worship so many gods and goddesses that they says, well, let's think about this. Maybe we forgot one of them somewhere. So we're going to set up this altar in case we forgot any god or goddess. This, this altar is devoted to anybody we, we forgot, anyone we neglected. And Paul focuses on this altar. He says, therefore, I'm here to tell you, Athenians, the one whom you worship without even knowing, him I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since He is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is He worshipped with men's hands as though He needed anything, since He gives to all life, breath, and all things. And He has made from one blood every nation of men. You know what that says to me? Different races are just a myth. We're all part of the same family, amen? No matter where you go, they're made by one God, one Creator. We're all one people, truth, truth, truth be told. Uh, everybody has their origin from God. Every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for Him and find Him though He is not far from each one of us. Oh, there's a powerful message right there. You think God is far from you? Think again. Amen? Think again. God is not far from any one of us because God is around each and every one of us at our beckoning call. Anytime we call Him, He is there. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also His offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone. In other words, you can't, you can't really depict God in any art form. I mean, he's not against art here, but if you really think about it, no form of communication, no artwork is big enough or grand enough to capture the image of God. So something shaped by art of man's devising. Truly, times of uh, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because He has appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He has ordained. And who is the man? Any guesses? Oh, come on now, we're in church. Who is the man? <laughs> Jesus is the man. So we can leave out here saying Jesus is the man because that's what Paul said. Jesus is the man, all right, by whom he is ordained. He has given assurance of this, but to all by raising him from the dead. And when he, they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysius the Areopagite, a very intellectual individual, came to faith during his address, and a woman named Demarius, who was probably also very intellectual and influential in this society, and others with him. While there wasn't a church formed in Athens, there were many Athenians who came to Christ because of God's working through the message of Paul the Apostle. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and what it means to us. 
And we just ask, Lord, this morning that you would fill us with the same spirit that you filled the Apostle Paul to allow me to speak the words that need to be spoken and hold back any words that don't need to be spoken so that in and through it all, Lord, you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, and our hearts that will apply these things and be better for it. For it is in the name of Jesus we ask all these things. In the name of Jesus, the man, we ask all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. It is important uh, not, o- not only to discover the means by which we need to tell people about Christ, but it is important to actually bring the message of Christ to a lost and dying world. And sometimes, you know, we as pastors, we, we, we put a lot of focus because there is great attention that God has placed upon us. There's a great uh, responsibility that God has placed upon us to preach the Word so, and to preach it accurately, to preach it truthfully. So we want to make sure that we communicate in a way so as to not make everybody fall asleep, but so that somebody might get a little bit of something out of it. Well, one pastor, he went to this conference. I went to this conference, this preacher's conference, and they had all these notable preachers speaking. And there was one preacher who came up and was very good at what he did. And he came up and he said these words to, to, this, to the audience. He says, the best years of my life were spent in the arms of a woman who was not my wife. And everybody looked at him and said, do what? He said, yet again I say the best years of my life were spent in the arms of a woman who wasn't my wife. You know who she was? Absolutely. Man, <laughs> y'all are too good. His mom, that was the woman whose arms he spent in that wasn't his wife. Well, this preacher, he was really trying, he got a hold of this. He said, next Mother's Day, I'm going to use this. This is going to be, the, this is going to be a great opening. Everybody loved this, this introduction. I'm going to use it. Well, the preacher, he was sitting there and preparing for the service. And, and uh, as he was approaching the pulpit, the, the, the joke became a little foggy to him. Uh, the, the little point became a little foggy to him. So he thought, well, I better hurry up and say this. So he runs up to the pulpit, gasping for breath. And he says, the best years of my life were spent in the arms of a woman, not my wife. And the congregation nearly sucked all of the air out of the congregation, out of the sanctuary that day. And he says, yet again, I say, the best years of my life were spent in the arms of a woman, not my wife. And I can't remember who she was. (laughs) Well, needless to say, he had a lot of explaining to do there after that service to both his wife and the congregation that day. Uh, But uh, needless to say, it's important that we communicate the message of Christ. It's important that we tell people about the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. And as we were talking about last week, uh, we were talking about Paul standing before the Athenian crowd at the Areopagus, and now he stands before the Athenians to deliver this message. And folks, I want to tell you that when we have a place where people will hear us in the secular society we can take a lot of notes from what Paul did at Areopagus in the city of Athens. Because I think he did four things led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit absolutely was in it. And if the Holy Spirit's not in it, it's not going to work no matter what you do. But if the Holy Spirit's in it and you use these four things, I believe you're going to see some great things come by preaching the message of Christ even to a pagan secular society. Well, what were these four things? Well, to make make matters easy for us all to remember, they all start with the letter C. First of all, he made a connection. 
First of all, he made a connection with the people. He looked around and uh, he, he sought a way that he could communicate with the people in a way that they would understand. Now sometimes, if, if you're like me, I, I try to look for a way to, to start a conversation. And sometimes it's difficult to start a conversation. So I look for clues, something that I can start the ball rolling. If somebody's wearing a cap with a ball team on it, I might start mentioning something about the ball team to get their attention and get the conversation rolling. But eventually you want to leave the ball game and, and move it to the gospel of Christ. But you want to look for something to make a connection with the person whom you're speaking. Paul did this very thing. Paul looked at this altar devoted to the unknown God and he used this as a means to communicate the message of Christ. Isn't that amazing? He takes this altar amongst all these other altars devoted to these false gods, chooses this one altar devoted to an unknown God and uses this as the launch pad to bring the message of Jesus Christ. And so he made a connection. He also even used one of the poets of Greek society, uh, Aratus, who lived from 315 and 340 in verse 28, quoting one of their, pro, their, their uh, poets to bring them back to the message of Christ. So the important thing is to make a connection. One of the things I remember in my days in seminary was the, um, the challenge they made, saying, try to formulate your gospel to share... To, uh, to, gospel, your testimony, excuse me, try to formulate your testimony to share with an individual, but try doing so without using church words. Don't use church words. Don't use the word justification, sanctification. Don't use these terms we use. You know, for instance, we we have a vocabulary in church that most people don't pick up. For instance, if someone asks you to do something and you say, I'm going to pray about it, that's a nice way of saying no, amen? Now, a person may need time to pray about it, but most times that's just a nice way of saying no. Or, for instance, if someone says something nasty to somebody and they say, well, bless your heart, that's actually Christianese for almost like a curse word <laughs> to some people. Bless your heart, you know. Uh, but not necessarily for everybody. But there is a language we have in church that we use in church. Not everybody's going to understand that, Amen. And so if you go to a person who's never darkened the doors of the church, you go to a person who's never read the Bible, you go to a person who knows nothing of Jesus or knows nothing of Christ, uh, that knows nothing of God, and you use these church words, you may as well be speaking Chinese to them because they're not going to know what you're talking about. So formulate your testimony in a way that doesn't use church words. And you know what I found? That was a lot tougher than I thought it would be. Uh, it was a lot tougher than I thought it would be. But we see that Paul does this very thing. The message of the gospel must never change. But we must understand that the methods that we use may need to change depending on whom we're speaking. Because if you're talking to a person who grew up in church, you, know, you may have an easier time explaining these things if, you t- if you're talking to a person who never knows, who's never known anything about the Bible, who's never known anything about the church itself. So that's all that's, that's to say. The gospel never changes, but the methods we use may need to change depending on who we're speaking to. Uh, secondly, we see that Paul not only made a connection, but Paul included a, a discussion of the Creator. Folks, let me tell you something. You've got to know, they've got to know who God is and what God's all about. 
And you know, in order for them to know what God, who God is and what God's all about, we need to know who God is and what God's all about. First of all, you see Paul, he, he, he emphasizes the nature of God. He emphasizes who God is. And he, first of all, talks about the attributes of God. If you go through this passage of Scripture, in verse 24 and 26, he discusses the oneness of God. That there are not all these billions and billions of gods and goddesses. There's only one God. Amen? There's only one God, the creator of heaven and earth and everything in it. The one God, the God who created you, the God who created me, the God who created everything. He he talked about the oneness of God. He also talked about the omnipresence of God and his emphasis that uh, God being the Lord of heaven and earth, but the fact that he doesn't live in shrines made by hands. there's There's no temple you can build that's big enough to capture God within it. God's too big to be, to be placed within a temple. God's too big to be placed within a sanctuary. He says that no matter where you go, this God, this true God, is close to you no matter where you may be. If you're in North Carolina, if you're in South Carolina, if you're in Israel, if you're in Saudi Arabia, uh, if you're in Canada, or if you're in Mexico, it doesn't matter where you go. If you take a rocket ship and, and you're one of those people who takes a one-way flight to Mars... I still haven't figured that one out. I still haven't figured that out. It's going to take you 40 years to get there. You're probably not going to make it just a one-way trip to Mars. I haven't figured that one out at all. Uh, but, but if you want to take a one-way trip to Mars and develop a colony there in Mars, guess what? You're not going to escape God. God is everywhere, and He is near to you, and that's what Paul talks about. He talks about the omnipotence of God, that He has created everyone and given everyone life and breath, and has created all things that exist, and has even appointed times and boundaries of where they should live. And he also talks about the omniscience of God, uh, talking about the knowledge of God, that He knows everybody who would seek after Him, that He knows everything everyone would do before they even do it, as I've mentioned before, don't try to play chess with God because he's going to know five moves ahead of what you even thought about doing. He knows everything you're going to do before you even try to do it. So with that being said, do we have an accurate knowledge of who God is? There was a book I recently read uh, called America's Four Gods that says the people in the United States have four views of God, the authoritarian view of God which says God is close, close but he's, a, he's kind of like a dictator. And if you get out of line, he's going to get you in line. Boy, I saw some people jump on that. I uh, woke some people up there. But, they, you know, it's going to get you in line, the authoritative God. You see, the benevolent God, a loving God, yeah, that's another view, a loving God. But, you know, he does, you know he's, he's loving, but he's not going to really judge anybody. You see, the uh, critical God, the God who's not really involved with anything, but at the end of time, he's going to have a judgment. And then you see the, the final, the distant view of God. He's not going to bother you. You don't bother him. He's just there, and you do your thing, let him do his thing, and that's the way it goes. The problem is, is that none of those views really have it right. Because the critical and distant views aren't right because God is very active in our world. And the problem is, is that people who have an authoritative view of God, they see God as being judging, they forget about the love of God. Because let's be honest, we were talking about this Wednesday night in Bible study. If God didn't care about the Israelites, He wouldn't have gone through all the trouble to send prophets. Why did He give a message of judgment? 
because he loved the people and wanted to see them repent, wanted to see them change so that judgment would not come. It was conditioned upon their faithfulness to him. So we forget about the love of God, but a lot of times we look at the love of God and we say, well, God really doesn't care what you do. Is that biblical? Say it, say it again. Of course not. Does God care what you do? Come on, church. Don't go to sleep on me. We got air conditioner this morning. <laughs> God does care what we do. God does care how we live our lives. If God didn't care, why in the world would he have sent Jesus? If God didn't care, why in the world would he have given a law to begin with? You see, none of us really have an accurate view of God because God is just, but God is love. And we cannot lose either aspect of that nature of God. Norman Geisler says, we'll never comprehend God completely, but we can apprehend the core essentials of who God is because He has revealed those truths to us. Not because we're smart enough to know, but because God has revealed those truths about Himself to us. So while we see that Paul focuses on the attributes of God, he also talks about the acceptance of God. He tells the Athenians that while you have done these things in verses 27 and 29, God is near to you, willing to accept your repentance if you simply turn to Him by faith and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. I interviewed Dr. David Baggett, which is a, he's a really interesting guy. Uh, he and his wife, Mary Beth, are both uh, professors up at Liberty University. And, uh, and, and I got tickled because he is from Michigan, and I have this North Carolina southern twang. So he, he, he was teasing me. He said, he said, oh, there's an added benefit to this conversation. I didn't realize you had a southern accent. I said, yeah, it follows me everywhere I go. I can't quite get rid of this thing, but yeah, it follows me everywhere I go. And so we were talking about this, and he, he, he talked about the point and saying that we really fail to understand that God loves us, and He actually likes us. He said, Brian, think about this. God actually loves you. I said, yeah, even with my southern accent. He said, yeah, absolutely, even with your southern accent, God actually likes you. If He didn't, He wouldn't have sent His Son, would He? I want everybody just to, to stop and do this with me. I want you to repeat these words after me. God loves me. God actually likes me. That's, that's a miracle. I don't know about anybody else, but it's a miracle for me. God actually likes me when I wake up in the mornings and I'm grumpy and as an old bear. He still likes me, even when what, what little hair I have is all in a mess. He, ladies, He likes you and loves you without all the fancy makeup. Amen? Now, come on, now that was weak. Amen? He loves you. He likes you. And that is an amazing thing. And Paul is telling the Athenians, guys... You don't need all these gods and goddesses made of, made of wood, brick, wood, brick, and stone because the one true God loves you and will accept your repentance if you simply ask. I don't know about you, but that's a miracle in and of itself. Amen? You look around the world and you see all the mess that we've gotten ourselves into and to actually think God loves us. God actually likes us. That is a miracle in and of itself. Number three, we see the conditions. And Paul did not alter from this. The conditions included in this salvation. Number one, the condition of sin. 
And he's telling people that God, this God, is bringing judgment against the world, but you don't have to be on the wrong side of God. Why don't we stop worrying about being on the right side of history and start worrying about being on the right side of God? Amen? Because that's what Paul is emphasizing. You need to be on the right side of God. Now, we were talking about this Wednesday night in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is an interesting book, a very odd book in some ways. Very interesting, though. He uses this word, Zahar, which is a Hebrew word used for a warning. And you know that word, Zahar, literally means to shine. And I, I was using this illustration Wednesday night. It's going to be a repeat for a Bible study, folks. Jennifer is, is a good housekeeper, but I'm not. <laughs> I'll be the first to admit to you, I'm, I'm not the best housekeeper in the world. And so she, she asked me sometimes, she says, honey, will you dust? And I said, well, yeah, of course, I'll try. And so I go through these, you know, through the different rooms, and, and I'll dust and everything. And I thought I did a wonderful job on this one particular room. You can see her shaking her head. I did a wonderful job, I thought, on this one particular room. And she goes in there and she says, honey, you missed a spot. I said, no, I didn't. She said, yes, you did. I said, no, I didn't. I said, she said, yes, you did. I said, I dusted this whole thing. There's not a speck of dust anywhere here. She said, yes, there is. I said, no, there's not. She said, yes, there is. She said, no, there's not. <laughs> we went back and forth. I said, honey, I dusted the entire thing. Well, you know what she did? She turned on the light, and guess what? There was a spot I missed, <laughs> a big old spot that I missed. You know, that's what the Bible uses the word Zahar in, in the Old Testament to, to warn people is like shining a light, exposing the light on a situation, telling people about the condition. Beloved, I'm just simply going to tell you this, that people need to first know about the condition before they know about the salvation. Because if you go and tell people today you need to be saved, they're going to say, from what? Drowning? From what? Being hit with a Mack truck? From, saved from what? You know, some people aren't going to understand unless you tell them about the condition of sin, which leads us in verse 30 and 31 to the condition of salvation. And he tells the people in this passage of Scripture that salvation is found in the man Jesus Christ. It is found in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And He is willing to accept your repentance. He is willing to accept you in faith, uh, I I by your faith, that you would be saved by grace through your faith and given to Christ in response to his, the salvation that he offers unto you. Let me say this this morning. We see a rampant increase in school shootings these days. And it's very concerning to me. And it's concerning to all of us. But J. Warner Wallace, I think, hit the nail on the head. J. Warner Wallace is a Christian apologist and he's a former cold case homicide detective uh, in Los Angeles, California. And he said that there are three reasons why people normally act aggressively like this. One is for power. Two is for, for romantic, sexual romance, romantic uh, situations. And the third is for money. Money, power, sex. Those are the three reasons that people commit acts of violence, the reasons people commit acts of crime. But he goes back and he says, the true heart of this situation is not found in any governmental legislation. The true problem with this is found in the heart of man. Because our problem in our nation today is a sin problem. The problem in our nation today is because we are turning away from the principles of God's Word and the more we tell people 
The more we entitle people, the more we tell people your life doesn't really matter. There is no God. Nothing exists. Nothing matters. Your life doesn't matter. No one else matters. Then we've taken away morality completely. And he says the only way we're going to get our society back is to turn back to Jesus. Amen? That's the only solution. Now this may not be something that many people want to hear, but I think he hit the nail on the head. Until we realize the problem is that of a sin nature and the solution is found in Jesus Christ, our society will never change. Paul had the cure to what ailed the Athenians. And it wasn't in a new, cleverly devised philosophy. It wasn't in a new book that, that, that uh, went way off the deep end. It was in the core fundamentals of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And lastly, this, this discussion included cognition. And that is just to simply say, to explain the reasons for our faith. We need to know, and listen... It's like I tell people, you don't have to have a Ph.D. to do this. You don't have to have advanced training to do this. All you need to know is to simply know what you, what you believe and why you believe it. And then you can simply be no, just simply be knowing the facts of Scriptures, just knowing a few key fundamental evidences for Scripture. That may be all it takes, but ultimately sharing your testimony because I believe that too is an apologetic, that is too a defense of the faith. Uh, telling people about what Christ has done for you and for your life. Patsy Boo has a wonderful testimony. I mean, she's, the miracles she's encountered has been absolutely amazing. If you get to know Patsy Boo and hear her testimony, there's no way you can walk away from her saying there's no God. Amen? The miracles God's done in her life has been absolutely, absolutely amazing. So I think that's one thing we can do. Share the testimony. Share what God has done in our lives. Uh, Josh McDowell has simply said this. He said the evidence, and Josh McDowell was an apologist who focuses a lot on the evidences for the faith. But he said the evidence did not save me. The evidence did not save me. Now, God used the evidence to clear the path so that He could reach my heart. God used that. He had to show me that there were reasons to believe. But once I got to that point, the evidence isn't what saved me. He said, Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 4 is what God used to save me. Where God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. When I read that and I realized that God was speaking those words to me, He said, God grabbed a hold of my heart. God had already cleared the intellectual objections I had, but he got a hold of my heart and the Holy Spirit entered my life then and there. Beloved, I'm going to tell you this. The Holy Spirit is what really saves. And that's what we need to do. He has to be in and through all of this. And we need to know what we believe and why we believe it so that we can allow the Holy Spirit to use us to show people, to tell people the reason for the hope that we have within us. You know, the message we bring says a lot about who we are. Amen? The message we bring says a lot about who we are. And Tommy, now we get to the one I've been wanting to tell. I told Tommy this earlier. I came across a story that I have, I have been chomping at the bit to tell everybody here today. And it's a wonderful little story. It's about an 80-year-old woman. An 80-year-old woman was set to marry her fourth husband. Her fourth husband. And a newscaster from a local news station got a hold of this, and he wanted to interview this woman. And so he did. He went to this woman and said to her, he said, Ma'am, I'm curious. This is your fourth husband. You're 80 years old. He said, I'm, I'm curious. What does your 
soon-to-be husband do? And she says, well, he's a funeral home director. He said, he's what? He's a funeral home director. He said, okay, well, that's kind of an odd profession to be marrying into. He said, were your other husband's uh, funeral home directors? And she says, no, sir, not even close. He says, well, what, were your, what did your former husbands do? She said, well, my first husband was a banker. He, he, he really wasn't all that romantic, but he was good with numbers, and he made a lot of money for the family, so he was a banker, a really good banker. The second husband was a passionate man. He was a circus master. And so you, you'd be amazed at what he could do with all these elephants and all these tigers and with the clowns running about. He was a circus master. The third one was a pastor. He pastored for several years, and then the fourth one is, of course, a funeral home director. He said, what? <laughs> she said, yeah. He said, wait a minute. The first one's a banker. The second one's a circus master. The, the third one's a pastor. And the fourth one's a funeral home director. That doesn't make any sense. They don't have anything remotely close to, to, to one another. Why did you marry a banker, a circus master, a pastor, and a funeral home director? She says, well, honey, it's quite simple. One for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four to go. Had he looked down to see the blue suede shoes she was wearing, that may have made a lot more sense to him. So what did that say about the woman? Who was her true love? Elvis Presley. <laughs> that was her true love. So her message said a lot about her. In like manner, our message says a lot about us. What do we preach? What message do we bring? Who is it we really serve? So the what we do and what we say, it truly matters because we're communicating the message of Christ. And beloved, I want you to know that not only does God love you and does God like you, God has saved you if you're in Christ. And you know what that means? You are His ambassador to the world. You hear of all these ambassadors going to these different nations representing the United States you are Christ's ambassador to a lost and dying world. He has not only saved you, but He has appointed you to be His spokesperson to each and every person you come across in life. That's a great responsibility, but it's one that we, which we can have a tremendous impact if we are truly focused upon Christ and upon the message that He provides. So with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you have blue suede shoes, we especially love you this morning as well. But if you're here today and you don't know Christ, we'd simply encourage you to come down and receive Him before it's eternally too late. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've lost your way and you just want to simply rededicate your life to Christ, we would encourage you to come down as well. Or maybe you'd like to come and join the ministry of Huntsville Baptist Church. Whatever God is saying and doing in your life, we would just simply ask that you would respond according to the Holy Spirit's call. To kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for, for your salvation. We thank you for the fact that even though that you're a God of holiness and a God of justice, that you actually do love us and you actually like us. Which is what Dr. Baggett said is just an amazing thing to consider. That no matter what we go through in life, you even tell us in Romans chapter 8 that nothing can truly separate us from your love, which is found in Christ Jesus. We don't know what obstacles may be in front of each and every person here today. But we just ask that you would clear those obstacles away. That if there's anyone here today that knows you not, or maybe they've been burdened down with the things of life, that you would clear those things from them.
allow them to truly respond to whatever you're calling them to do this morning. Lord, we love you and we thank you for loving us. We ask that you would have you in your way this time of your life. We ask you to thank you for The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of BellatorChristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi Podcast is a production of BellatorChristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Kayla Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. is God? What is He like? How can we know? The answers you give to these questions will have a tremendous impact on your worship, discipleship, apologetics, and evangelism. Faulty ideas about God are permeating both the church and the culture. It's time to get back to the basics of understanding the existence and nature of the God who is. Marking the 25th year of this annual event, Southern Evangelical Seminary's National Conference on Christian Apologetics returns to Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina with an all-star lineup of some of the finest Christian minds in the world to explore this incredibly important topic. Join us October 12th through 13th, 2018 at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Among the 65 speakers at the event include Ravi Zacharias of RZIM, Josh McDowell of Josh McDowell Ministries, Chip Ingram of Living on the Edge, Gary Habermas of Liberty University, Natasha Crane, Richard Land, and many, many more. Ticket prices before August 1st are $75 for adults, $45 for students. After August 1st, the tickets go up to $85 for adults, $55 for regular price. Save an extra 5% per ticket when you register by May 1st. Group, homeschool, Christian school, and skeptic discounts are available. Call for details by dialing 1-800-77-TRUTH, extension 201. Once again, that's 1-800-77-TRUTH, extension 201. Or go to conference.ses.edu. The 25th anniversary of the National Conference on Christian Apologetics will be October 12th and 13th at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Hope to see you there. You're going to change this world for Christ. Don't look around and wonder who it is. Say, God, make it me. Make it me. Because we're training champions. That's a part of the vision. Write the vision, make it plain. We're training champions to change the world.
That vision of training champions for Christ to change the world is the foundation of Liberty University. It always has been, and it always will be. Everything we are today is built upon it. But while our vision hasn't changed since 1971, the world around us has. Fewer and fewer people understand what we mean when we say train champions for Christ. So we show them. We show them what authentic faith in Christ looks like through the lens of academics, athletics, through the way we have fun and the way we serve one another and the world. We show them that we the faithful, the bold, the united, and the brave are also we the creators, the innovators, the entrepreneurs, and the leaders. We the champions are committed to tackling the issues of our time with integrity and prayer. Our vision hasn't changed. It has strengthened, broadened, expanded. It has grown into over 550 programs of study, reaching into over 80 countries, uniting over 100,000 students into a beautifully diverse family with a singular vision. We the champions, in order to affirm our tradition of unwavering faith, ignite a passion for wisdom, challenge perspectives, inspire creativity, and pursue knowledge. Do resolve to be the voice for the voiceless, bring healing to the hurting, fight for the oppressed, defend freedom, defy stereotypes, and follow God's call wherever it may be. Find out more about Liberty University by visiting liberty.edu.